My name's Tim, one of the leaders uh, here at the church, and over recent weeks we've been going through uh, Isaiah chapter 61, so if you have a Bible and you can turn there, please, then can you? Isaiah chapter 61, in a series we've called Anointed, this chapter prophesies the coming of Jesus and prophesies the ministry of Jesus. It foretells what Jesus would come to do. And Jesus came and read this passage and said to those gathered, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And Jesus has given to his church this as our manifesto, if you like, for how we represent him in the world and what he's done in us and what he's going to be doing through us. And uh, we've actually not gone beyond verse 3 yet. Um, We are going through, because in each of these phrases which are used is a very significant biblical theological theme. So we've lifted the theme and then we focused on it and that's essentially what we're doing. Usually we'd go through a book of the Bible and we would just spend a lot of time in a particular passage but we're doing this more as a thematic series and today we're thinking about clothes, clothing, which is actually a very significant biblical theme as I hope we will discover together. So I'm going to read again the first three verses of Isaiah chapter 61. And I have been assured that the text will be on the screen behind me. Um, But uh, yeah, it happened once in Acts, I'm sure, to the early church. Technology Technology did fail them then. I mean, let's agree. Um, Right, Isaiah 61 verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. And they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you today that we are so very, very privileged to be able to hear you speak to us through your word. I thank you that, Lord, you have revealed through your scripture how it is that people like us can have a real living relationship with the creator of this universe. Spectacular as it is, we can know you as our friend. I thank you today that you have given us garments to wear, garments of grace, garments of praise, splendid clothing, that would glorify you and would give us such strength and security in this life to face every possible obstacle and battle ahead of us, knowing already in Christ we are victorious people. So, Father, I pray, please today speak to your people. Give us ears to hear your word, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So in verse 3, we have these contrasting images as God speaks to a people who are in despair, 
who are in grief and who are in mourning. And we have these pictures before us of someone who is classically in this state of apparel that expresses the, the despair that they're living in. Instead of ashes, a crown of beauty. Instead of mourning, there will be festive oil. Instead of despair, there shall be splendid clothes. Now, when you become a Christian, do you know that you're given a new set of clothes to wear? Now, we understand we're not speaking literally. We're speaking of something that is spiritually true for us. And the Bible is a book full of all kinds of different books and writings. We have poetry, we have wisdom, we have narrative that's telling stories. But all of the Bible is a theological uh, book. It's talking to us about who God is and what God's like and, and how God is operating in his creation and what the impact of that is for us. So when we read a phrase like this, you're going to be given splendid clothing, we're to see that there's something profoundly significant theologically in that. And so as we encounter clothing through the Bible, there is something theologically significant happening here. Something that you and I need to understand and to take hold of and to appreciate. Now that phrase, splendid clothing, in other translations of the Bible... Bearing in mind we're reading a translation here, much of the Bible written in Hebrew and in Greek, and so it's translated into our language to help us understand as accurately as possible what's being said. So the NIV translation and the ESV translation here says, instead of splendid clothes, garments of praise. Garments of praise. Do you know that there is a garment of praise for you to wear today? A garment of praise. Think about that. To put on a garment of praise. And we're going to go there and think about that through today's sermon. But the challenge to the people in this context is you're in a place of despair. You're in a place of mourning. You don't really feel like praising. But the promise is I'm going to exchange The ashes, I'm going to exchange the sackcloth, I'm going to exchange this apparel that's low and bleak for something beautiful, glorious, something praiseworthy. In Psalm 137, the psalmist captures, I think, very well how the Israelites are feeling as Isaiah is prophesying this. Isaiah, uh, sorry, Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. There we hung up our lyres on the poplar trees, for our captors there asked us for songs and our tormentors for rejoicing. Sing us one of the songs of Zion, they said. But how can we sing the Lord's song on foreign soil? How can we sing? So here we have people who've been taken into captivity, taken into Babylon, taken away from their homes. They've seen all kinds of horrific things. They've seen death. They've seen murder. They've seen theft. They've seen the temple plundered. And they're brought into this foreign land. And in this foreign land, they're being told, come on, sing for us. Sing us one of your songs. And the Psalms, which are just so brutally honest, they're like, "How, how can we sing? We've hung up our harps. 
I wonder if you, if you can uh, relate to that at all. How can I sing? I wonder if you've come here today and your posture is, ah, I'm glad there are no words because I didn't feel like singing anyway when I arrived. You know, sometimes we don't feel like singing. And sometimes perhaps even to sing songs feels like you're being disingenuous. You're not being honest with where you're at. And you have all kinds of reasons for why you shouldn't be wearing that garment of praise. And you feel like you're a hypocrite to sing. Where we're going today is, I hope, a place where you're you're gonna hear, keep on singing, right? There's a reason to keep on singing. Now, we're gonna focus on clothing as we see it through various texts in the Bible, and there are gonna be Four major themes that we're going to look at. Firstly, clothes to hide shame. Clothes to hide shame. Secondly, clothes of pretense. Clothes of pretense or clothes of deception. Thirdly, clothes that don't fit. And then fourthly, we're just going to spend the final section just enjoying the clothes that God gives us. Garments of praise. So initially, we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 3 which is where it all begins, and we're going to think of clothes to hide shame. Now, it says in verse 25 of chapter 2, the man and the woman placed in the garden, placed in Eden, placed in paradise, both the man and his wife were naked, and they felt no shame at all. They had been made in the image of God. And it says in the Psalms that God clothes himself in majesty and glory. He's clothed in dazzling white. And in Eden, in paradise, Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, are clothed, as it were, in the glory and the light and the majesty of God. There was no shame. It was free, glorious, God-glorifying nakedness, which is very peculiar for us to think about today. But yet that's what it was. It was glorious. It honored God. They were free. And then in chapter 3, we find how everything was corrupted and how everything changed. Verse 6, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they saw that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. In verse 11, we hear the Lord God comes, and they're told, we, we heard you coming, they say to him, and we were afraid that, that we were naked, and so we hid. And then he said, who told you you were naked? I mean, that question. Who told you you were naked? What? Fig leaves. This is, uh, this is the first shame culture to have existed in creation. Shame culture. It's everywhere around the world. There are particular shame cultures. Um, sh- a shame culture can be defined uh, like this. Uh, that you are good or bad based upon what your community thinks about you. Your sense of being good or bad is defined by 
what your community thinks of you, how your community looks at you, how your community sees you. Now, what was the community here in Eden? Well, it was Adam, Eve, and God. So shame has come, this culture of shame has come into the garden, and they are feeling bad on account of how they consider themselves in the context of their community. In other words, God's going to look at me and see that I'm bad. Shame. Now, we're going to expand this later on in the series. And so they grab for fig leaves, and they clothe themselves, and they try to hide themselves. And ever since this moment, men and women have reached for fig leaves, figuratively speaking, to hide their sense of shame in their community. Maybe the fig leaf will protect me and give me something of an appearance of acceptability and I won't be dismissed by God. Because actually what I do feel is naked and and shame. What can be the fig leaves that we reach for? Of course we can think of our success. We can think of being religious. In other words, trying hard to earn God's approval. We can think of our status We can compare ourselves to others. There are all kinds of ways in which we can put fig leaves. Maybe it's self-deprecation even. Putting ourselves down. If I tell everyone that I'm really bad, then at least I'm being honest. But that's a way of hiding my badness. So So this shame thing enters. And these clothes are put on. And they're clothes really to hide. And they hide behind trees, but hiding suddenly is introduced. But what we're going to see with each of these moments is every time there is this, if you like, bad clothing that someone puts on, we find that God responds very quickly, right? We're going to find a quick response of God. So that in chapter 3, verse 21, we read this. The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and wife, and he clothed them. The Lord God made skins. This is the first sacrifice that we encounter. So right at this moment of sin entering in, we find blood is spilt. Right at the first moment where man and woman experiences shame and clothes themselves in a a way to hide their sense of shame, God responds and he says, I'm going to clothe you. I'm going to cover you. I'm going to do what you're failing to do right now. We find kindness, we find mercy, we find God advancing towards them. We don't find God going, right, that's it, I want nothing to do with you. Do you know God comes and he's merciful to Adam and Eve, forgives them, covers them. And what, of course, does it point us towards? It points us towards the spilt blood of Jesus Christ. That was the ultimate blood. That was the ultimate covering, the ultimate clothing. A garment of grace. A garment of grace comes right at the beginning. Right at the very beginning. Because this is what you have to hear, and we're going to see it throughout, is you can't do it yourself. You need God to clothe you. There is nothing you can reach for that's going to be adequate to the task. The Lord God comes, and the Lord God takes skins, and the Lord God clothes you in your nakedness. Well, let's move on to the next passage in Genesis chapter 27. Genesis 27. 
And here we have a very bizarre story as clothes of pretense are worn. We find Jacob and Esau, twin brothers. Esau is the eldest, Jacob is the younger. And in this culture, in this day and age, the eldest son receives the blessing, receives the father's inheritance. And Jacob desires what is Esau's. Jacob knows that he is not entitled to be primogenitor, to be the firstborn and to receive all the blessings. And he's envious and he wants to have it. And so let's read from verse 15. Then Rebekah, that is Jacob's mom, took the best clothes of her older son Esau, which were in the house, and had her younger son Jacob wear them. She put the skins of the young goats on his hands and the smooth part of his neck. Then she handed the delicious food and bread she had made to her son Jacob. When he came to his father, he said, My father. And he answered, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob replied to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may bless me. It's a bizarre story. It's a very theologically significant moment in the scriptures. Jacob, Jacob's brother Esau, right, is a very hairy individual. Unfortunate for him, he looked like, you know, Elmo or someone. He's red and furry and hairy. And so how do I pretend to be this guy? So I, I want his blessing. I want to have what he has. But I'm, I'm a smooth-skinned man. It's quite a thing to admit to. And his mom, who's desperate for Jacob to have the blessing, says, no, no, we'll, we'll deceive him. Put on your brother's clothes. Pretend to be him. Go forward and take the blessing for yourself. And so Jacob puts on Esau's clothes and he makes himself furry and hairy. And his dad, who's very old and blind at this point, is tricked and is deceived as Jacob takes up clothes of pretense. Fearful that who he really is might be exposed. Doesn't consider himself in who he is able to receive the blessing and the favor and the approval and the acceptance that he wants. Envious of what someone else has and so pretends to be that person to take the blessing and to find the approval that he covets so desperately. And you can see, I'm sure, how we are so prone to this kind of behavior. I would suggest of all of the clothes that we're considering this morning, this may be our greatest area of need in our society, in our context. We run a great cap center here at the church to help people in debt. Debt is a massive problem. It's a massive problem across this nation. It's a massive problem in affluent areas as well as poorer areas. But we were hearing this week from, from Babs, who runs the center here, that despite the fact that in places like Southampton and Portsmouth, they have so many clients, more clients than they're able to help, here in Winchester, they've got far more spaces than is necessary. 
far more spaces than people are asking for. Is that because debt's not a problem in Winchester? And so Babs and the team are saying, no, we know there's debt. We know there's debt. We know the issues are great. But to come forward is to accept I'm needy. I need help. I don't want to present myself maybe as, as, as needy, as vulnerable. I, I'm just going to keep going and I'm going to put on clothes of competency. I'm going to put on clothes of success. I'm going to wear garments of the kind of person that I want people to see. And yet, inside, it, it eats you up. I just want to say to you, if you're here today and you have that, don't feel shame. We want to help you. Actually, we're well equipped to help you. Come and speak to us. Don't pretend. Oh, it's so easy for us to do this. And I can tell you what, honestly, every single one of these pieces of clothing I've worn and I'm always tempted to wear. Relates to each of these. Because we want to present an image, don't we, of ourselves that's positive and that's good. We come with clothes of pretense. But do you know what the astonishing thing is that God blesses Jacob anyway, right? He receives the blessing. So it's amazing. So we go over to the next chapter in verse 15. This is what God says to Jacob. He says, look, I am with you and will watch over you. Wherever you go, I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. And then Jacob, who's in this vision hearing God speaks, he wakes up and he says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Now listen to this in verse 20. This is wonderful. If God will be with me and watch over me during this journey I'm making, if he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and I return safely to my father's family, then the Lord will be my God. Jacob is changed. Now he's looking to God to clothe him. Do you see that? Garments of grace. Garments of God's approval. Garments of God's favor. Garments of God's kindness. That's what he's he's wearing from now on. From now on, the Lord will clothe me. None of this nonsense, trying to pretend to be someone that I'm not. I take on these garments. I wear these garments. Don't stay in that place of pretense. God sees you. God sees you. God knows you. So the next one we're going to look to is in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And here we have garments that don't fit. Garments that don't fit. This is the story of Goliath, this towering giant, this mighty warrior that has the whole armies of Israel crippled by fear. Someone come and fight me, Goliath invites. Someone take me on. Who's your best? Who's your biggest soldier? Who's going to come and fight me? And you probably are familiar with the story. David comes. David, who was called the runt by his family, right? That's nice. The runt, the little one. The little one comes into the battle, and he hears Goliath boasting and bragging in his power and his capabilities. He's like, who is this Philistine? Who is this guy? He's arrogant. I'll fight him. And they laugh at him. You, 
you take on him. They laugh, they mock him. Saul says this, you can't go and fight the Philistine. You're just a youth. And he's been a warrior since he was young. And David is insistent. I will fight him. The Lord will give me victory. I will go. I will take him on. I will fight him. And in verse 38, we read this. Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David. He put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on armor. David strapped his sword on over the military clothes and tried to walk, but he was not used to them. I can't walk in these, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Instead, he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in the pouch in his shepherd's bag. Then with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. And the rest, as they say, is history. You have to, you have to picture this little guy in the armor of this massive guy. So Saul was huge. He wasn't Goliath's size, but he was, he was the, probably the biggest guy who was too fearful, too anxious, too insecure to put himself forward. But do you see the irony? He still takes the armor that he was fearful of using himself, and he puts it onto David. And David is dwarfed by this. He's, he is crushed by this. He's, he can't move with it. And he says, I'm taking it off. I'm casting this off. I can't wear this. This does not fit. It's been my privilege to be in pastoral ministry for many years now. I think 16 years, 15 years. And I would say that in most of the interactions I have with people in terms of the greatest pain that they deal with relates to this kind of thing. I wear something someone else has put on me. Words that have been spoken, which have scarred and hurt me. You can't do this. You'll be no success. You're just not very competent. Do you know what often words spoken by parents? And I am an imperfect parent who has said things to my kids I deeply regret. And sometimes those words, they... They're like Saul's armor that rests heavily upon us and we recognize in life I feel like I barely make two strides forward because I'm heavily weighed down. Maybe you're your own worst critic and, and, you're, and you're speaking untruths over yourself. Maybe you've, you've been intimidated and bullied that's a real thing like and and bullying is such a a scarring damaging thing and one of the things that happens if you've experienced it is it it forms shame and everything comes together you hide you retreat you don't want to talk about it and as an adult to admit to it can feel like an incredibly humiliating thing so you don't say anything so you're hiding in Saul's armor and you need to throw it off and you can. And God can help you do that. Don't carry it. I reckon most of us in the room can go, I, I, th- I relate to that. 
trying to wear something that isn't your fit. But I love what happens next. So chapter 18. So the, the next passage. When David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship and loved him as much as he loved himself. Verse 3. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as himself. Then, listen, Jonathan removed the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his military tunic, his sword, and his bow and his belt. <laughs> Do you see what Jonathan does to David? What Saul had just done. But do you see the fundamental difference? What Saul gave him, he gave in fear and intimidation. What Jonathan gives, he gives in love. I love you. Wear this. I'm for you. Receive my robe. I mean, Jonathan was destined to be the next king. He was the natural successor, but he saw in David, this is the Lord's anointed one. And so here's what God does. Like Jonathan, the Lord comes up to you and to me and says, I love you. I love you as much, hear this, as I love myself. And so that in the garden, Jesus prayed, Father, the love with which you have loved me, we love them. The love of God that's eternally existed comes to us. And you're robed with his garments of grace. It couldn't be more contrasting to the garments that Saul put on David, the garments that Jonathan puts on David. And so here's the thing. These garments of grace are healing. These garments of grace are bringing the affirmation and the approval that you so seek and need. It's actually God-given. but it can only be fulfilled by God, therefore. My longings, our longings, our desire to be found and to be loved and to be clothed. He gives you garments in love. Hallelujah. We find this theme repeated through the whole Bible, the significance of garments. I'm not going to go through any more Maybe one briefly at the end. You think of Joseph and his garments that he was given. Think of Elisha throws his robe onto Elisha. You think of Jesus at the cross. They cast lots for his garments. And when Jesus came out of the tomb, we find the garments folded perfectly. Very significant theological theme, this. Because this is the question that each of us must answer. What is it that you're wearing? What do you wear? What do you wear? Garments of grace. Garments for hiding. Garments of pretense. Garments that don't fit. There's a robe that your Father in heaven has to put over your shoulders that comes from Christ. That is perfect, pure, radiant. And it's a garment especially chosen for you. Wow. Luke chapter 15. But the father told his servants, Quick, 
Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And that's the heartbeat of the gospel. Bring the best robe. Who was this son? Oh, he was the one that essentially stole his, took his dad's money, wasted it in a wild life, and then had the audacity to come home and ask for a room in the house again. (laughs) And the father runs to him and says, you're back! Yes! Bring the best robe! Put it on him! A ring for his finger! We can have a party. That's what God is like. That's who God is. So you come here today and you're like, I don't want to sing. How can I sing with what's going on, with what's happened? And so you come here today and here's what God says. Bring the best robe. Bring the best robe. You're here. You're in my presence. Oh, how I love this gospel of grace. And this is why these are garments of grace and garments of praise. Because what they elicit in us is thanksgiving and awe and wonder that you would take me in my hiding and call me out and put clothes on me and say, you're home. That is the gospel. Why didn't the band come? Let's stand. As we've gone through today, I've mentioned a number of things which will no doubt have been challenging for some, and maybe I've addressed specific things that are happening in your life right now, and you know that's true for some of you, and you know you've got a decision, walk away and pretend like it wasn't, it didn't happen, bring it to God, this is my first invitation, bring it to God, and it might be that you need to come speak to one of us. It might be you need to speak to a friend and say, do you know what, I feel like I've been hiding something and it's enough's enough now. God's calling me out. And we're here to help. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're not here to condemn anyone. We're here to help one another, to carry each other's burdens, to love one another. So we want to help you if that's you. We want to speak to you. We want to help you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the robes of righteousness, robes of grace, the garments that Jesus has given to us that are his. We thank you, Lord, that we no longer need to hide or pretend. Lord, we don't need to carry or wear clothes that are heavy and not tailored for us. When what's on offer are garments resplendent, magnificent, God-glorifying. Lord, I pray, let us all, as it were, pick up our garments this morning, our garments of praise. May we choose to sing Hosanna. May we choose to sing Hosanna. Worthy is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Worthy is Jesus Christ, the true David, the true King, who wore our sin and shame, who took our filthy rags that we might wear his perfect, spotless garments. 
We praise you for what you've done for us, Lord Jesus Christ. We love you and we worship you. Amen. Let's worship together.